You'll know when you have a wild woman. She'll practice her craft without boundaries. She is truly autonomous. Her loyalty is only to the family she serves, a midwife who will not allow herself to be held back by a system she didn't create. This podcast is for the birth keepers who want to grow and change. We're open to learning through self-reflection and supportive community. We are creating this space to explore without judgment. We are remembering we were born wild. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Born Wild podcast. We're super excited for episode number two. Uh, Today we're going to dive into the big topic of vaginal exams. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, necessary, unnecessary, what are they? Yeah, I'm Sophia. I'm Emma. I'm Leah. And where do we start? So I was, okay, so today I was thinking about a story that somebody told in Heart and Hands, the original church and ministry, that I think we all did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yep. Um, and there was a couple doulas in the program. There was actually a couple who were not planning to become midwives, but just wanted more information to incorporate into their dual practice. But somebody was talking about early labor and, I mean, first time moms, I think primarily or completely. And she said something about like the drama of early labor or the, the primate, something about like this show or this dramatic thing that happens in early labor where people get so caught up in the idea that labor's starting and you know sort of like act like they're in active labor and I was super pissed off about it it just to me felt like and I was like self-righteous and had just started and um but there was something about it that just felt really dismissive mm-hmm. of that time um And since then I've evolved obviously significantly. Um, And for me, I've found, I don't know if this is for you, Sophia, but that there's actually, there's many transitions in labor, right? But like there's two kind of milestone transitions that I've found. And one is from early labor to active labor. And just like the transition from, you know, dilating to moving into pushing, it feels really intense. And I've showed up for births where women, I don't, I don't know, they could be 10, they could be two, you know, contractions are really frequent. They seem like they're kind of in labor land. And, and then I do a vaginal exam and they could be one centimeter. And I don't know what that is, but it's like, as soon as we have that information, I feel like things really slow down. And it's like a, I don't know if it's a reality check, mm-hmm. but I found that and um, like respecting how they feel, but also just like, okay, like you're just not quite there yet. Um, so that's a reason that I have done vaginal exams um, for a long time. I'm obviously questioning that mm-hmm. now, but I don't know, Sophia, what your experience of that has been. Yeah, I, um, don't do vaginal exams very often. The last time I did, 
I only did it once last year and it was after it was on like day three of labor and the mom was like I'm just kind of curious what's going on <laughs> like I don't blame you um yeah and so my thought is if she needs support enough to have called me then it doesn't really matter where she's at yeah. like I'm gonna be there to support her and you know hearing a lot of women express disappointment in finding out where they were at when they were checked and that they thought they were farther along and um and you know as a doula seeing somebody get checked and be told that they're five centimeters and and then you know a few minutes later her feeling like I just can't do this. If this is five, like I can't do it. I want my epidural. And, you know, she's holding her baby 10 minutes later. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can get in this place where you're like, you're just like, it, I don't know. You just are more in your head. You know, you're trying to decipher how long it took you to get there and how much longer that means you have and versus just like, experiencing birth and being in it um and you know i i owe a lot of this mindset it's not how um i learned about midwifery when you know i had a preceptor um we did vaginal exams and um you know of course we tried to limit them and things like that but um i owe a lot of this mindset to taking the radical birth keeping school um and yeah, just the idea of like, do our fingers belong in someone else's body? And can it actually tell us anything? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I mean, Leah, I know we've been at a birth where we had a mom who was completely dilated for nine hours mm -hmm. before she started pushing. Mm -hmm. And we've had, you know, moms where you can't even feel her cervix. Um, this was when I was a student. We had a mom who wanted to be checked. It was just at her prenatal. She was just curious. And the midwife couldn't even reach her cervix. It was so posterior and tucked back. And she had her baby the next day. And so the more I hear these stories or like the mom who walked around for two weeks at six centimeters, you know, before she even went into labor and it's yeah. like, okay, what information is it actually mm. telling us? I feel like prenatal vaginal exams are so dated yeah. and completely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, with June, it was a similar thing where I was 41 weeks and a day, I think so like. 40 weeks for a first timer, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and I went in and this was again, like a nurse midwife with a midwife practice um, delivering at the hospital, but she checked me and I was, you know, cervix was firm and high and posterior. And she, you know, sort of flippantly like told me to take castor oil. She's like, you should do castor oil because you, you know, the baby's nowhere near coming out. And I went home and I cried because I was like, I'm going to have a C-section, you know, I'm nowhere near. And, um, and then I went into labor that evening, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I think I had some show that evening and then I had her like 48 hours labor or something. But yeah, vaginally, uh, I mean, prenatally vaginal exams are completely worthless mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so the most you know, common time to have one is when you either 
arrive at the hospital or your place of birth if it's a birth center or potentially when your midwife arrives at your house if you you know have someone supporting you in that way um and so like when would you want to check someone is it you know something that happens every time or just depends on the situation um i have a question about that yeah so make sure you're leaving so that um yeah so i just wanted to know what your take was on checking for complete dilation to avoid interior lips because interior um, lips aren't real right everyone has them exactly but we used to and i've seen midwives want to push back the lip on before starting to push and i'm curious about that because i read that they're not real and we shouldn't we should just be letting people push when they want to push to me it just means you're not fully dilated yeah i mean they're real i just think that it's normal part of birth like i just feel like so many times if i do check people it's like oh you're you're dilated you have a little bit of a lip mm -hmm. and it's like so many people that it feels like there's more people that have it. there's definitely more people that have it and don't mm -hmm. um, so i have a conversation prenatally with clients about vaginal exams. And I feel like it's something that people tend to ask about. If not at the initial meeting, then definitely prenatally, like, so do you do vaginal exams and how often, um, which is cool because like, that's a fairly new thing because people don't want them as much. Mm -hmm. um, and just that prenatally, it means absolutely nothing. Um, and people who are doing concurrent care, like their providers tend to really want to do them, which is another podcast, but mm -hmm. um, another podcast topic. But, but I talk about during labor and I used to until a couple years ago say, and this was from my preceptor, you know, when I show up to the birth, I like to kind of get settled. And then I like to do a vaginal exam within the first hour or so, just to see where you're at. And that was like, you know, and the reasoning for that was most of the time when I showed up for first babies, it was really early. Um, and there were several sort of like quote concerns I had about that. Second time moms, I don't think I ever do vaginal exams unless it's like requested or it feels like it's been days and days. What about you, Sophia, with that? about second time moms. you don't check anybody yeah so. i don't really check anybody so usually that question. um but yeah i think i think I, it's really hard to not check a first time mom mm -hmm. it like it's not something especially because it's my training and just like the feeling of wanting to know as much as possible but i don't know i just think there's some magic in like being in the unknown with her you know that I only know what I can see in her and yes. And, and that it doesn't really matter anyways. Mm -hmm. So I found a really, and this is something that I feel like I talk less about, but I used to, when I talk about the day or the night, you know, when um, her birth begins is that a really common scenario is that first time mom sort of starts surges in the evening. Like if they have a partner, partner comes home. If they have other children, they go to bed and it's just like 
you know, whether it's show or stronger breaths and hicks or whatever it is, like that's kind of this like, oh, this is different. This is labor. Mm -hmm. So for first time moms, especially, they feel that and the excitement, of course, and this is like my exact birth story. Um, so I, I empathize and I've just seen this a lot is that the excitement and like the desire to be further along in Candyland, you know, mm -hmm. on the map, um, they will stay up. <laughs> Seriously, it's like Don't Drop visual. Mountain. <laughs> Shoots and ladders. You're four centimeters. Go back. Um, <laughs> don't ever say that to the client. No, um, but yeah, it's like I stayed up all night like listening to Jeff Buckley and that was great but by the time I like really kicked into active labor I was super exhausted which is fine right people get tired but what I've told people in the past is like I tell them now like if things start in the evening rest mm -hmm. is what you're going for mm -hmm. you know to save your energy and in my experience one of the biggest reasons that first-time moms have felt like they needed to go to the hospital for rat, you know, for some pain management or whatever is they were up all night and then they're up all day. Yeah. And then they have their baby the next morning, but yeah. they're just fried. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I tell my, the families I work with that anyways, I tell them all to be prepared for like a two day experience because you don't want to think it's going to go fast because your mom and sisters went mm -hmm. fast and then not take care of your body and be in this marathon, you thought it was just going to be a sprint and you wasted all your energy. And, um, and that, yes, everyone gets tired. I mean, my labor was six hours and I was tired. I think that's just part of the like hormone cascade that like helps you get into that relaxed state is the feeling of exhaustion. Um, so I tell everyone, it doesn't matter how long or how short you're going to get tired. That's just part of it. Yeah. Um, but that to prepare for the two day experience and pace yourself. And I do a lot of reminders when they are checking in with me, when they, you know, think they're in labor, um, about, you know, resting if you feel like you need to eating if you feel like you need to because those two things get harder and harder mm -hmm. as it goes on and then staying hydrated and peeing um but but yeah that we so we just always kind of plan for it to be a longer experience and um and then if it's not that's wonderful <laughs> mm -hmm. so it's like a similar conversation yeah yeah I just don't yeah, I mean, I guess the conversations I have with my clients about uh, vaginal exams is, I, you know, I tell a lot of stories about the times when it told us nothing, you know, and the times that it was a big disappointment for her because it, it told her lies about her body, like when her body was like that mama who was told she was five and then had her baby shortly after she was not by the time those fingers came out of her body, but the feeling she was feeling in her body felt so intense. And so she was like pairing that with, this is what five feels like. And so it sent her into this like panic, you know, of like, well, then I can't do 10 if this is what five feels like. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, we went to a birth where uh, somebody called us in labor that we had never met before. <laughs> and I called Leah like hey do you want to go to a birth yes <laughs> somebody we don't Always. know <laughs> um 
And so that was exciting because it was a first time mom. And um, how long were we with her for? We got there probably like noon Saturday and her baby was born the next morning. Um, But like, if you remember, she was like, seemed like she was in it. Mm -hmm. And I think it was still early. Mm -hmm. I mean, I never checked her the whole time, but she was in it and she had all her friends around her and it was, she was like working hard. And I have a feeling if I had checked her, it would have been one of those conversations, like disappointment. Cause she thought her baby was coming like for sure. She thought her baby was coming. She said to me, um, and she, she even tried pushing like that, like before the sun went down or something, mm-hmm. she was like, I think I need to push. And I was like, there's a difference between like wanting to, or thinking you need to, and actually pushing just, you know, listen to your body. And she toyed around with pushing and was like, no, this isn't it. But so she really did think she was farther along than clearly she was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember you and I were, Leah, we were toying back about the like, you know, well, what if this, are you sure we shouldn't check her, you know, cause maybe it'll give her the opportunity or the permission to like, bring it all down like just drop the energy like recognize where she's really at um but I also didn't know her well enough and I hadn't had all the conversations that I typically have with families um prenatally and so I didn't want to do anything that would send her to the hospital for her epidural because she just couldn't keep going yeah you know and that she could only keep going if she thought in her head she was farther along you know um and that she was almost there um so I never did and she had her baby at home and it was beautiful and I remember being so emotional when that baby was born because mm-hmm. I had no idea who this family was really and we were you know there were moments where we were like, okay, well, what if she does go to the hospital and she was, you know, pushing on a swollen cervix and all these stories you can come up and they find out that her midwife never checked her once and how like, you know, inappropriate that is. And, you know, just, yeah, all these like fears that come up. And I realized that I was doing the same thing. I warn families not to do like, don't try to like, create story that isn't even happening you know am I about to perform a vaginal exam because I'm scared of what could potentially happen versus doing a vaginal exam because you know of a specific situation that's going on where you could really use the information Mm -hmm. so one thing that has changed since we started working together I think is that when I've talked to moms who are in labor and this is I feel like most of the time we're talking about vaginal exams we're talking about first-time moms yeah and that's not always the case yeah in labor um but like just to put that out there that's pretty much the only people I'm talking about but um who have called and it feels really clear to me that it's really, it's really early and that can shift. But for me to get all my stuff, wake up, you know, potentially like drink coffee in the middle of the night, cause I'm a total caffeine addict <laughs> um, and go over there to sort of explain that um, feels like it will tire me out. And obviously I'm not the most important person in the room, but I also don't want to be up all night with somebody that really should be resting 
Mm -hmm. Um, and I can sleep on their couch, but for me, it's just not, it's not comfortable. I'm not going to get sleep and we're not robots, you know, like we're there for people, but we also need to care for ourselves in order to like, like, honestly, if we're at, I don't know, for me, if I'm at someone's house for three days, like I'm a different midwife. Yeah. You know, it's just like, and we're midwives, so we're used to being up all night, but at that point, it, it does change the care. Well, and that was at a time, too, where you only called me when yes. it was clear the baby was about to fall out, you know, exactly. or, and now we don't do that. Now we show up at the same time, and we are a team, and yeah. we have rules if it's after midnight, and mom is not actively pushing that we, like, start to spell each other, so someone's always well-rested, so we've kind of been setting our practice up to where um, we can have the patience necessary to just let it unfold and that somebody's always fresh. Um, yeah, that was a game changer. Like mm-hmm. knowing that if things aren't imminent, mm-hmm. I can sleep for two hours and yeah. then you can sleep for two hours for sure. So that's a big shift. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that, and when I've said that to people, sometimes they're pissed and I get it, you know? But we're good. I'm just going to write down another topic is like how we, um, set up our practice. Yes. Yeah. How we work together. Um, but you know, and it's understandable and we're serving them, but I've had people be kind of pissed. Like they really want me to come and like, okay, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll come, but I'm just letting you know, I may not stay. Mm -hmm. And more and more, I've had that conversation with people and it's very rare that that happens. I feel like it happened a lot more definitely at the first center where I worked, um, but in my early practice. Mm-hmm. So see, in my conversation is a little different because I tell people, um, that it doesn't really matter where you are in labor. If you want me there, I'll be there. Sure. Um, but that it's a conversation that we have together and we just check in and how are things going? And, you know, if you're like, oh, we're still good, we're just going to like have dinner and go on a walk. Or if they're, I mean, like that mom we talked about that we met in labor, the reason she ended up having a home birth is she was planning a birth center birth. And she got there because she felt like things were really intense. She needed a lot of support. She was vomiting a lot and they checked her and she was one centimeter. And so they were sending her home and she was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm exhausted. I can't stop vomiting and I need support. And they told her to go to the hospital for morphine. And she went home feeling abandoned. And like, I wanted to have this natural birth experience and their first choice, their first like suggestion is morphine. And she was just really confused and and I, you know, long story short, had us come over. And so like that story too, it's like, it doesn't matter that she was one centimeter. She needed support, you know? Um, and like, that's what we're signing on for is support. And that's why I think having a team and not just one midwife, but yeah. like having a team that can rally and like, yes, because we are human. I mean, the birth I was at for five days, it was me and the dad and the doula and we were taking shifts and we would go home to shower. It's like, you know, like it wasn't like we were staring at her for five days a week, you know, we were all trying to take care of ourselves. And that's why it's important in those long births or the really intense ones to like have a solid birth team Mm -hmm. that isn't rushing your process, but just like can hold space for it. Um, Yeah. I think that's a lesson too, that took me to learn 
like wanting to be a perfect wife and mm-hmm. like not wanting to admit that I needed breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, not wanting to ask, like, can I need to go home and take a shower? And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I totally get the, um, I think the, the vaginal exam really early in labor as a way to check in with women and kind of say like, this is where you're at. And I know things feel really intense, but chances are you have a while to go. And what I've found is when that happens, people aren't like, every once in a while people are like bummed, but it's, but that's an emotion that they can process, you know, and things slow down and the vomiting stops. And it's like, somehow that awareness and not that labor completely stops. And then it's like this terrible thing, but it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, it's 11 PM centimeter centimeters. Like I'm gonna take a bath or have a glass of wine or whatever feels appropriate. And then I get a call at like five in the morning. It's like, yeah, I slept pretty well, Mm -hmm. you know, or every 10 minutes I'd wake up, but then I would lay back down and it just feels like such a game changer. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, as far as like what can change, I could get a call an hour later and things have really shifted. It's just the mm-hmm. question of like, how often does that happen? And does it benefit women to not maybe, not, not be real, but say this is usually what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess more and more too, I'm just trying to, um, my like hope is that after the whole birth experience is done is that she realizes she needed nothing except for people holding space. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she actually didn't need all the stuff she thought she needed. Like she didn't need somebody checking her and telling her where she was at. She didn't need, you know, permission to push. She didn't need, um, yeah, all the things that we're told we have to have, like, uh, it's such a common question is, but how will I know I need to push, you know, um, if you're not going to check me, that was actually a question that Emma and I just had today, this morning Mm -hmm. at our appointment, how will I know if I need to push if we're not checking? Um, And so just like reminding them that their body body mm -hmm, is the one running the show and that we're just watching and waiting and sometimes first-time moms whose baby's been really low don't feel the urge to push but that's the mm-hmm. thing emma tell us tell us how you feel yeah what have you experienced what have you in... experienced in with preceptors and mm-hmm. like i know you're still like forming your little midwife soul and it will keep evolving <laughs> i'm still forming my oh, yeah. midwife soul. whose are. phone is that <laughs> Emma's on call. Please forgive her. Okay. Sorry. <clears throat> Not an excuse for all. <laughs> you know what? I put it on silent and I realized I just turned it on as loud as I could and thinking I was putting it on silent. Oh boy. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I think we all have to unlearn based off of the training that we have. And, you know, the only experiences I've seen are, are the standard of care is doing, um, you know, midwife will come and check. And I've seen some 
some moms be really happy that they they know and having that information in their head can help them um, progress faster. Um, other times, it's like what you're saying. I mean, it can be really detrimental to someone that thinks that they have made a ton of progress and to only um, have dilated by, you know, another centimeter or so really takes the air out of your tires for sure. Um, you know, I, I think that we should be leading by what our clients want us to do solely. Um, and some, you know, some women want that and others don't. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember too, the, the mama that we met in labor, she asked me probably like three or four different times, not to check her, but just like, are you sure you don't need to check me? Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, no, I mean, not unless you want me to, but it's pretty uncomfortable and it won't tell me when your baby's going to be here. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't see any like reason I mm -hmm. should check you. And um yeah, and I mean, I heard you say that it helps them progress quicker, but how would you even know that? You wouldn't. <laughs> like, unless it's you just... reverse time and like didn't check them. And Yeah. <laughs> it's like a theoretical, I, I guess. think it's, yeah, I think it's just like in your, in your head. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's just so great to recognize how um how unnecessary vaginal exams are i've checked before okay. it's not um how unnecessary they are routinely yeah. because oh, yeah. of how little i've actually done of them in my practice um and even with first-time moms and so it i think it's just nice to know that it, they just really aren't as necessary as we think they are in our culture. Um, and yeah, I mean, just we're trying to get something out. So why would I like be putting my fingers in? And the fact that it really is the baby's position and how low they are that has more to do than how dilated you are, um, because we know how quickly that can change. and. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like it's harder to just have patience. And so I think it's a skill that I'm like continuously practicing sitting on my hands and just, just keep trusting and keep trusting and keep having patience. What is that called? Where it's the ball? Okay. What is it called? Where the the rhombus of Michael. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have Why? you seen that? As the hell is a woman's body named after? All I know. Of our, all I'm of like, our I'm not even going to try. Rhombus of Michael is yeah. like something from Starship. I know. Yeah. Fallopian yeah. tubes. Yeah. We, ever... we could do a podcast on that. Yeah. I'll be, yeah, make that you know. note. But uh, do you feel like the, the things that we learn in textbooks about um, the outward signs of di where they could possibly be dilated are actually true in your own practice? 
um, without like actually checking them without touching anyone. But I, what I mean is I see it, but then I don't actually do a vaginal exam to confirm what I'm seeing, mm -hmm. you know? So I don't have that, but I definitely feel like we point things out mm -hmm. to each other all the time, Leah, where we like, you know, we'll point to her back opening or the purple line or things like that. And it always seems like, you know, she approaches pushing pretty soon after, if not already. But again, we're not necessarily going internally to confirm our findings. Right. Um, so yeah, but I feel like for yeah, sure, there's lots line, of other signs. Like we pointed out to each other. Mm -hmm. That seemed, seems to be. Yeah. But again, we didn't like check right, right, vaginally. Right. We just, the baby was born, you know, within the hour. Um, it is interesting though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So two things. Mm -hmm. One is that when I've listened to free birth stories, which like, let's not get too into free birth because that's also a whole other thing. Another but episode. There's lots of, and then I checked myself. And I feel like I've had, I know I've had. Oh, you mean like the mom physically right, checks? Yeah. Right. Which is different, obviously, than us doing it and she's choosing it and whatever, but she's still getting information, right? And does that affect where she's at with her labor, like her psychological, like having, doing it herself and be like, oh, okay, I'm partially open or whatever it is. Like, does that affect the labor of somebody who's, not doing it with the attendance um there's someone there to protect her quote unquote but um so there's that and then something that i was just thinking about while we were talking and also something that i've like what i've started to tell people about vaginal exams or like an evolving um way of talking about it and then practicing as well because we're all trying to evolve is that you know i explained to people that the numbers are arbitrary because you know in midwifery school we like you know we used to use these different things like oh this is a four this is an eight but the truth is like anything that's not one and not ten it doesn't really matter mm -hmm. you know because like you said sophia i mean we've done a lot of births i feel like where things feel stalled and we didn't even check, but mm -hmm. we do some like spinning baby stuff mm -hmm. and it shifts and then the labor like really picks up. Yeah. And it, we had no idea yeah. where her dilation was. Mm -hmm. um, but just this idea of like, these are the two things that could even mean anything and then they also probably don't is like, what I've said to people is like, it's early or you're not quite there, but you're doing great, mm -hmm. you know? And then like, I don't know, I also used to check first time moms before they started pushing mm -hmm. to make sure that they're like, weren't pushing on a cervix that wasn't all the way dilated or an mm -hmm. anterior lip. And I don't know, I don't really do that anymore. Well, so I was just thinking about the last birth we were at, um, it was her fourth baby, and at one point she announces that I feel like I need to push. And we just kind of said, wonderful, listen to your body. And then for like a little over two hours, she pushed on and off. She would push during one contraction and then like 
four or five more surges would go by and nothing. And eventually she pushed more frequently. But I remember thinking afterwards that I bet if I had checked her, she probably would have been like seven centimeters or something like, mm -hmm. you know, I bet she wasn't completely dilated and that those occasional pushes were actually her body's way of like moving her baby down or helping to rotate her baby or like get her baby lower um, that, that the pushing can, you know, can, can be that too, that it could be help with rotation. Oh. Um, and I've seen that in the hospital as a doula, a mom get checked and because she's pushing and they need to make sure there's no cervix and they're like, she's only seven, like make sure you don't let her push like as her doula and, and they leave the room and they're like, should I push? And I'm like, listen to your body, you know, do whatever your body tells you to do. And she's got her baby 20 minutes later, you know? And it's like, but yeah, it what was- What number baby was that mom though? In the one in the hospital? No, the one that we did. It was her fourth baby. Right. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, but the one I'm talking about had her baby 20 minutes later as her first baby. Right. And she right. went from seven centimeters to baby. And, and from what I've heard about telling moms not to push in birth stories is that it's the worst part of their experience mm -hmm. is being told not to push mm -hmm. when you're pushing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I feel like that's a big no-no for us. Yeah. Telling a woman not to do almost anything in labor just feels really counterintuitive. Yeah, especially Absolutely. her body's doing it. Um, Pause for reflection. Pause for reflection. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess just telling women that, like, I don't, I mean, with, with baby two, three, four, whatever, I just say I don't do, I really don't do vaginal exams. I prefer not to, and I sort of explain why. And What if they're pushing for a long time? Well, like, would there be a point where you would want to? Not unless they really, really want me to. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, a sec, whatever, et cetera, baby that's, they're pushing and it's not coming down. It's like positional, cord length, um, you know, mm -hmm. it would be more like a conversation of like, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. Do you feel stuck for some reason? You know, I think it's just like, they've felt that sensation before. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. It's, just, it's uncommon, and when it has happened to me, it's, like, always positional. Mm -hmm. I had a birth in Utah where I checked her because we checked. You know, it was a second-time mom, um, and she'd been pushing for a while, and her first birth was super fast. Is this still recording? Mm -hmm. um, and we just were all kind of like, um, you know, and she was pissed. She was like, why is this taking so long? So I checked her. And what I felt was felt so strange and like squishy. And I like, you know, there was a part of me for a second that was like, oh my God, it's the brain, <laughs> which is a terrible thing to joke about. But, um, but I was like, what is this? And then she would push and the door of a little baby face would come out <laughs> and look at us <laughs> and little cheeks. And then she would stop pushing. The little face would get scrunched and go back. And it was like, of course. Yeah, of course it's taking. And she had her baby vaginally, mm -hmm. you know, with the face presentation. And, had, you know, her face was swollen for like 24 hours, not even that long. And then she was fine. But 
um, you know, I did check her and we found out that was why. Mm-hmm. So whether or not that was beneficial, I don't know. I just love that oh story. <laughs> like, like what? It's is like this? I thought maybe it was a butt at first because I could feel the cheeks and I was yeah. like, wrong cheeks. I was like that, kind of, but then like feel the eye. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was like, I'm not open, but I was like, it's the fur. I mean, it was just it was really, really bizarre. Um, yeah, and I think the thing with first-time moms too, being like, do you feel like you feel ready to push and you want to push, or do you feel like you have to? Mm-hmm. Like your body, like you can't not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, is it? I mean, I tell people the number is arbitrary and that you can go from three to ten in an hour, and I've totally seen that. But the question, I guess, is like, do you want to do the hey? check in this is really early and then the like the thing with the complete two which I used to do um which I found extremely helpful was actually when women were like you know throwing their clothes off and like I can't do this and like packing their bag like wanting to go to the hospital and I would say like okay like I'm I have no agenda about your birth and I'm totally support you but do you want to check really quick just to see where you're at. And it happens a lot because that stage of like, fuck this, I'm over mm-hmm. it, is often transition that they're like nine or 10. And yeah. hearing that, it's like, yep. total one. I guess that's what I meant, Sophia. I've I never said. had anybody. Cause I've had that, I've seen that happen. I've never yeah. had anybody yeah. do that. I mean, I've had people be like, this is really hard. I can't do this, but I've never had anybody like heading out the door. <laughs> Because usually they tell me that they start thinking about what it would take to get to the hospital. And they're like, no, I can't do that. Sure. Um, yeah, I've never seen that before. Wow. Never yeah. seen that. Yeah. I think it's just, I mean, even after you explain like what it would take to go to the hospital and mm-hmm. people are still like, okay, I'm just over it. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like it's happened less and less, but it was definitely something that I feel like happened. And as a doula, a lot in the hospital when people were, who really like, they had expressed a big desire prenatally mm-hmm. to have an unmedicated birth. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, over this, I want an epidural, blah, blah, blah. And I'll say like, okay, but do you want to get checked? Just, just before, like you make that decision. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Almost always they're like, eight plus centimeters and it's just completely changes Mm -hmm. how they feel about it and what's going on and then you know nine out of ten times like they would go on to not have an epidural Mm -hmm. and it's also sometimes those people that didn't want to have an epidural and want to have an epidural but they're in transition and then it's like well there's not enough time to have an epidural so Mm -hmm. in the hospital I mean I've had people who get epidurals when I did hospital stuff like at 10 I was gonna say I have I know somebody who was pushing. She got oh, yeah. Pill. But, oh, wow. you know, first time, again, first time moms. But, first time mom. And I just say, like, by the time we get there and get checked in and all of that, like, you could have your baby in your arms. Whereas if you go and get an epidural and, and all that stuff. But I guess it's just, like, a tool that I've had mm-hmm. for people. Yeah. And I've found it to be, I've had women tell me they wanted to make out with me because they were so happy oh, that I checked them when they were 10. <laughs> I mean, not very many, but just like, I just wanted to grab, there was one, one of my favorite clients, she wouldn't mind, hi Jessica, 
uh, she was like, I just wanted to grab your face and make out with you. I was like, that would have been awkward. <laughs> Oxytocin though. But you know? yeah, I was like, that's cool. Yeah, and I usually tell people that it, you know, can be a tool and it's not a tool I use very often, but if you're ready, if you're needing to make a decision and that that's going to influence your decision, you know, is where am I kind of thing. Right, like what information is that going to give you yeah, that you would totally. do something about? Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's kind of why we did it after the three days. She was like, not really ready to go to the hospital per se, but she was like, okay, it's been a while. And if I'm like not even dilated, I got to know that, you know? Um, and she was like seven and she was so happy. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so maybe an option we could put out there that I'm, if I do exams is like, Hey, I really don't do them, but the only two that I felt, or I guess like it can, sometimes it can let us know if things are really early and you feel like they're really not, because I think that's a good reality check mm -hmm. for some people, you mm -hmm. know? Um, or like, yes, you're complete. Yay. You asked me and we're here. And anything else is like, you're dilating still. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, like for a little while, it was like, you're halfway there or you're, you're more than halfway, which like could be five and a half or it could mm -hmm. be nine and a half, you know, but just really not putting a number on it mm -hmm. and just doing it that way. Um, you know, in Utah, and this was like grand multips. I mean, it would literally be like, you would check someone cause we did that a lot who was three. And then she would like sit upright and walk into another room and then like her baby would fall out. Mm -hmm. So it's really irrelevant for anyone, for anyone, but especially like not a first baby mm -hmm. um yeah I feel like I'm talking a lot but that's okay um <laughs> we're the only other ones here to talk <laughs> the Gemini is coming out <laughs> look at me I'm a midwife um I think at least for me there's like a few moments either as a doula or a student for the most part but I think you know as a midwife too but where you like witness something and it haunts you yeah and it's like I feel like a visceral reaction to it and it's not just like oh that was terrible like oh I'm never going to do this but like makes me ill mm -hmm. and it comes up for me when I'm like considering doing vaginal exams mm. um and it wasn't actually that it was a couple years ago but um I mean I, I was a midwife but it was a friend of a friend and I was being her doula mm -hmm. um and kind of like hybrid where I came to her house first and like was listening to babe and all that stuff and then we transferred um and like a Montrese yeah, I mean, I didn't do all the prenatal care, though, so mm -hmm. it was more just, like, a duel with benefits. Mm -hmm. That's what I call it. Yes. Um, you know, we got there, and it was the first baby, and um, it was UCSF. It was a teaching hospital, mm -hmm. and it was a lot of new residents. And as it got closer to – it was just her baby wasn't rotating, and she, she didn't have an epidural but she did was, not, she did not. Um, but there was something up with her baby and they were trying to get him to rotate. And what ended up happening was I swear to God, 
every 30 minutes, a different resident would come in and either like, just check her. Like I would turn around like, oh, my name is Joe, whatever. And I turn around and he's doing an exam, Yeah. you know? And it was like, clearly she had become a case study. Yeah. I can't even count the number of exams they did on her. Um, her baby was super deep OP. That's what it was. And I mean, it was just, it was like horrifying. And I remember just looking and being like, why are you doing these exams? Like what, you know, it was just like all of these students get free range on her body so that they can learn, you know? And I know that they were going outside the room and like reporting to the attendant. And she's like, well, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Like it was some kind of, um, like she was a mannequin, like a doll that they were, you know, doing, being tested on. Yeah. Um, and it was like, it was so horrifying. And she ended up having a forceps delivery mm-hmm. and the OB that delivered him was able to rotate, but it was like, it was horrible. It was mm-hmm. horrifying. And so like that image of these people like nonchalantly walking in and just like, using her body as, as, you know, I don't know what you would say about that, a model, you know, like when we practice IV skills Mm -hmm. on a dummy. So I don't know if you guys have an experience like that. I do, but I don't know if I want to talk about it. Okay. (laughs) No, I just, it can be very general. I know, it can be very general. I just felt incredibly, um, uh, I didn't feel good about a situation when I didn't get the, the birthing person's consent to do a vaginal exam. And I went in the midwife I was working with told me to go in after her so I could feel mm-hmm. what she was feeling. And mm-hmm. I just, I knew that the mom didn't want that, mm-hmm. but the midwife had me do it anyway. Um, and that's the only experience I've had doing a vaginal exam mm-hmm. to like feel. So like, it'll be interesting learning how to do vaginal exams when we don't do vaginal exams. I actually remember when you reached out to me about um, me being your preceptor, I'm like, as long as you're not looking for a lot of hands-on <laughs> because I don't, do this, I don't so do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. It's not gonna be exciting. <laughs> yeah as I get closer to my cycle you can see what two centimeters feels like <laughs> um but you know again I mean maybe there are situations where we're you know in care with clients that you have like a really deep connection to and you're like what are your thoughts on me doing one exam on you if it feels right in the moment you know and um and maybe that's something they're like I love you I want you to have that experience or not you know um because I remember I had that as a student once I'm trying to remember who it was but um but she was just like oh yeah I have no problem with that and and that's how I got my first Mm -hmm. it feels so yucky to say God my first it's so tough I know because I think about that and I'm like you know how but if it's I mean it's a skill I should have but probably won't use very often obviously Mm -hmm. but like but if you're working in your your purpose is to serve families yeah and they want one Mm -hmm. yeah and I mean the thing is it's not really rocket science you know that's what I thought 
you know. Ah, I it, like well, I, I hold on. I wasn't. I wasn't done, Pape. Capes. Um, it's not rocket science once you can find the cervix. I okay. feel like it's mm -hmm. a deep mm -hmm. mystery in there, and everything feels very squishy and similar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess you have a leg up being a lesbian, <laughs> but um, I have felt my own tissues, but it's very different in labor, right? I mean, I just I feel like I'm I feel really confident in this space. <laughs> I'm just saying it all and. turns to butter. It really does turn to butter when you're in there and then there's like a head in the way and you're like, okay, but if I can feel the head, where's the cervix? Oh wait, it's behind it, it's mm -hmm. deeper. And, and she's in labor. So it's not like, you're just like, take your time, you know? Right. So there's like all these layers to it. I feel like once you mm -hmm. find the cervix, it's not hard, mm -hmm. um, but sometimes there's the like, okay, there's not that much room in here. Why can't I find it? Mm -hmm. Like, where is it? And you're yeah. trying to be, quick and efficient and you know not hurt her and um yeah so yeah finding a posterior cervix is really big like once you feel comfortable with that and you're like okay fine then I feel like that's a big deal and I warn people about that isn't that the part that dilates first though so wouldn't you that's what I have read that the cervix dilates first I just mean when it's tucked behind baby's head. Yes, you are correct. But like when you can't feel it because it's tucked behind the baby's head, then you can't check for, you can't get any information. I mean, it usually means it's not time to push, but, um, but also when people, get another topic, cervical sweeps. Um, anyway, okay, I'll leave that there for right now. But, um, yeah, I think it's just on student stuff, and I next time I want you to tell me more. But like, find like how you get that experience mm -hmm. and the difference between like when I was pregnant, I'd just be all go for a girl because I support midwives and like I am comfortable with that in my body. Mm -hmm. So like consent, mm -hmm. and there's for like sure. a vibe from people who are like totally mm -hmm. like your student like yeah this is my fourth yeah. baby like get up in there you know versus like a preceptor kind of trying to like sneak it in mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally and her her heart was in the right place i just i mean it didn't feel right to me sure right so um mm -hmm. yeah consent 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 but i mean yeah there, we could go on and on about that. yeah i think we should wrap up because we have an appointment to get to we do <laughs> Um, but thank you everyone for joining in, listening in. Um, let's see, maybe we should read off some more of the other topics we want to cover. Um, little teasers. So we have a list of topics and some of them are the your baby will die card. <laughs> We're not going to start early. <laughs> and by oh that, gosh. I'm really looking forward to that one. By that, I mean, um, other care providers, not us like pulling the dead baby card to get you to do what they want you to do. And then we wanted to talk about maternal weight gain. We wanted to talk about um, our mental health as midwives, um, how we run our practice. Um, <laughs> I didn't write this down, I'm confused. Yes, other things. Lots so things. <laughs> we have a list of topics and we're gonna be doing some interviews soon about conscious conception and yeah, lots of fun stuff ahead. 
So um, thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We're really excited to get this going. This is the Born Wild Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Born Wild Podcast. You can find me, Leah Ritter, at Bay Area Homer. You can find me, Sophia Henderson, at sophiabirth.com. You can find me, Emma Ray, R-E-A, at mamamoonbirthservices.com or Emma Ray on Instagram. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Bye. Hi, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to be alerted to new episodes and give us a five-star review if you feel like we have earned it. Thanks.